Well, the Blue Jays in good shape right now, hoping to take the lead in the top of the ninth inning. Two on, nobody out, with Bo Bichette up. And he lines the ball into right center field, and this one is getting to the fence. 3-2, and Biggio hits it to deep right field, and it'll be off the wall on the fly. They're on the verge of scraping the Braves all six games. And a fastball right down the middle at 99 to finish it. What's going on? It is at the letters presented by Miller Light, the original light beer. Arden Swelling and Ben Nicholson Smith, our producers Christian Ryan and Mike Desoni. Today is Thursday, May the 13th. Ben, the Toronto Blue Jays are four games above 500. Uh, they have the fourth best run differential in baseball. They just completed a series sweep in a season sweep of the Atlanta Braves. They're playing winning baseball and they're in really good position in spite of the fact that George Springer has played about 30 seconds for this team to this point. Despite the fact the Blue Jays uh, at any point of the season have had uh, three or four dozen players on the injured list. In spite of the fact that the early season schedule has been heavy on travel, heavy on road games, heavy on games against teams like the Yankees and the Rays and the Athletics and the Braves and the Astros and extremely light on teams like the Orioles or the Tigers. And despite the fact, Ben, that this team's starting rotation has been like a day-to-day proposition from essentially uh, the first pitch of the season, it's not so bad, is it? They're in a good spot. And, you know, they're not just in a good spot all things considered, you know, like considering the injuries and considering the tough schedule and the tough, you know, amount of time that they've had to spend on the road so far, 25 of 36 games on the road, even their home games are basically road games. All the games are on the road. (laughs) Facility, yeah. So it's it's been uh, a season of adjustments. And so even if they were 500, you know, we could be saying, hey, all things considered, they're in a good spot. But this isn't all things considered. This is just, they're in a good spot. They're at a 90 win pace. This is a great clip. The team is playing well. You know, they still have obviously a lot of reinforcements that we'll see when they come back. And we'll get to some of those in the course of the podcast, of course. But, you know, big picture, this team obviously are are playing some of their best baseball of the season right now. And they have reason to be pretty optimistic about what's ahead for them. Yeah, it's the question. It's like, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? Because like, if you're an optimist, you will say, well, look, the Blue Jays have like played pretty well and they've gotten themselves into a great spot. And like, hey, George Springer's going to come back and impact this lineup in a big way. Like, we already saw it in those like two or three games that he played. Just how much uh, better the Blue Jays lineup looked with him atop it, and how much better not just you know his like plate appearances were, but like down the lineup and the impact that has on the opposition starter. This, that, and the other. And you're going to say, oh, well, and also, hey, Thomas Hatch is like back on the mound and he's getting back into things. And Rafael Dolis is going to be throwing a bullpen soon. And, you know, who, you know, Anthony Castro is on his way back and Patrick Murphy reinforcements are on their way. That's kind of the optimistic look at it. The pessimistic look at it is like, well, the pitchers the Blue Jays have been relying on to this point can't possibly keep this going can they like is tyler chatwood like legit high leverage reliever now like you know are you going to be able to pull like a travis bergen and an aj cole out of the alt site or off the taxi squad and get like really good innings like is joel Pyamps going to be able to be relied upon you know to the point that he has does robbie ray just not walk guys anymore like is you know steven matz like this version of steven matz i don't know it's the the truth is probably somewhere 
in the middle. But uh, I'm willing to accept many different readings on uh, the temperature of this team. Right. And I mean, even if we agree that, you know, guys like Chatwood are not going to have ERAs in the zeros and, you know, of course, Robbie Ray might not finish the season with a 338 or wherever he's at at this point. Some regression is coming. I mean, that's a that's a fact. I think even the most optimistic person would have to admit that. But, you know, when you look at just where they've gotten to and the fact that they have 20 wins, you're only looking for probably 90, maybe 95. I mean, if you want to win the division, it's probably 95. If you want to win the wild card, it's probably 90. So to already have 20, those are 20 wins that you don't need as you progress through the rest of the season. So even if it's not sustainable, they're in a good spot having won those games. And now with the benefit of being able to play, you know, Orioles, it starts in June for them with the Orioles, but that's really going to pad their results and their win-loss record toward the end of the season. Same goes for six games with the Tigers, haven't played the Twins, haven't played the Marlins. So there's some softness coming up on this schedule. And I think that, you know, to me where I land is they're definitely in a good spot. It's kind of funny because over the first, I guess, I don't know, month, four weeks of the season, like it was purely the like run prevention. Like the Blue Jays were doing a great job of preventing runs and the the pitching was great. And you could take, you know, some issues with the defense if you wanted to, but the Blue Jays just were not allowing that many runs, period. That's kind of come back down to earth a little bit recently. But the thing that has like allowed the Blue Jays to continue winning is that like the run creation has come around and we are now starting to see some of these eight run outbursts, 10 run outbursts. You know, we are seeing Teoscar Hernandez returned from COVID-19 IL and just like has not missed a beat despite sitting out for 16 games. You know, you're seeing Randall Grichuk having the year that he's having, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. a little bit of a skid lately, but I mean, still has been the best hitter on this team in the aggregate. Marcus Simeon, like you can't get him out right now. Uh, Bo Bichette's having some really good plate appearances. Kevin Biggio coming around. I mean, this offense, again, without the guy who you would expect to be its best player, at least its most experienced and most like proven over a long track record player in George Springer, without him, this offense has been, to a certain extent, carrying this club over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. They've been really productive. I mean, you look at the month of May and entering play Thursday. Of course, they scored six runs Thursday. But entering play, that was the most in Major League Baseball. So that's a good sign. Now, some of the underlying stuff, I mean, it's not like they're totally destroying everything coming their way. They certainly have some struggling hitters. I mean, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., we'll get to him later. But not hitting well, not hitting at all, really. Um, but beyond that, you do see some length in this lineup. And to see Kevin Biggio's OBP get up to 333, that's really good. I mean, it's also worth keeping in mind, league average for on-base percentage this year in Major League Baseball is 311. We have to kind of readjust our expectations for any sort of offensive player. So when you see Vladdy out there with a 1,000 OPS, you know, remember, <laughs> league average is like 700. And, and Vladdy, you know, still atop those war leaderboards, I think it's 1.8 last I checked, still up there with Mike Trout. Shohei Otani is probably the MVP of the league at this point. But Vladdy like, would be in that discussion. He's having that kind of year, and they have depth to go along with him. Yeah, and this little uh, run the Blue Jays have been on lately offensively has been in spite of a little mini slump for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and uh, you know a little bit of a return to some of the ground ball tendencies that we had uh, that we had seen over the last uh, little you know last couple of years from him. Um, but you know, like 
I think that's going to come around just fine. Like I, I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be just fine, still hitting the ball hella hard. You know, I think you're still seeing a pretty good play approach. I mean, he's had some tough ball strike rulings go against him. You know, he's just been pitched really difficultly, I think. You know, like I think the league's kind of made a little bit of an adjustment to him where he's now just, he's not getting the fastballs that he was sort of living on earlier in the season. He's just seeing a steady diet of like breaking stuff away and everyone's trying to get him to hit those ground balls and to roll over those pitches. And I think that the big improvement, the big maturation we've seen from Vlad this year is that he um, is going to adjust back and he's going to be patient and disciplined. He's going to take his walks when he gets them and he's going to spit on that breaking stuff and let it go and not get frustrated when he has calls that, that go against him. And it's going to kind of come back around. He's going to adjust to the to the adjustment. You know, these are the tests of a young hitter that uh you know we've kind of seen Vlad go through early in his career so it's kind of like it's actually you know even though he's not hitting right now it's like it's a really interesting time to sort of take a microscope to him and watch his plate appearances closely because there is a lot going on there and sort of the the good news for the Blue Jays is that while Vlad's going through that process like Teoscar Hernandez is carrying the club and and Bo Bichette and and so, you know Marcus Simeon in a really big way and some of the guys that that you were mentioning so you know it's it's all roses for the Blue Jays right now. It is. And I mean, even with Vladdy, right, you mentioned the kind of mini slump and he did strike out a little bit more than he was walking for a period there. But even then, like he hit a, a opposite field homer on Tuesday and another big hit later in that game and then some more opposite field hits later in the week. I mean, this is if that's your slump, you're going to have a great, great season. And that's where Vladdy seems headed. But yeah, you know, you mentioned Teoscar and I mean, I'm kind of surprised, honestly, that he would be able to come back from COVID the way he did and basically not miss a beat. The two home runs in Wednesday's game, that second game in Atlanta, were a massive difference maker for this ball club. And Teoscar swings at the first pitch, sends it to deep right center field, gone! And just like that, the Blue Jays have taken the lead. How about Teoscar liking the offering he sees on the first pitch from Luke Jackson? And boy, did he square it up. You know, along with Ryu, who just continues to pitch like an ace, uh, that was the reason they won. Teoscar and Ryu were the real difference makers in that game. So it seems like, you know, you're getting to a point now where it's almost like someone is taking a turn as the star offensively for the Jays. And that's the potential that this team has. Won't last forever, but for it to be happening right now is really contributing to their success. Yeah, man, with Teoscar, like we are seeing, you know, those changes in approach that you have wanted to see and that we have seen for for some time, like over several years now, it it must be said with with Teoscar, um, we're not seeing as much chase. We're seeing the lower strikeout rate, strikeout rate right now. Uh, this is through Thursday's game as well, 24.7%, well off those rates that were like well over 30% earlier in his career like ben i'm pretty comfortable in saying like this is what teoscar hernandez is now until he isn't like i just think that he has kind of arrived as a ball player it happened a little bit later for him um you know in his career it happened at like 27 28 and if you're a blue jays fan like that shouldn't be that unfamiliar of a thing to see happen 
if you've watched Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion, even Josh Donaldson, who like his breakout kind of started in Oakland before he became a Blue Jay, but that was still like into his late 20s that he broke out. Like it is just kind of like a useful reminder that not every player is going to arrive in the big leagues as this fully formed finished product this world destroyer at the age of 23 or the age of 24 or even 25 you can't write anybody off too soon like you have to allow the process to play out because there are some guys who just take probably most guys really who just take a little while to figure it out and just have to get used to big league pitching and the type of stuff they're seeing and the approaches they're seeing the adjustments that are being made to them it seems like Teoscar has kind of settled in and found himself as a ball player and what many people believed he had the potential to be for a long time and it's happened uh, somewhat later into his 20s uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, yeah, you'll take that any time that you're getting this kind of production. I mean, I'm sure the Jays are thrilled. And now it's over the course of parts of three separate years. So, I mean, you look at the end of 19 from about June 5th on, 2020, obviously a very good year for Tay Oscar. And then 2021, he's off to a good start. So I know, you know, even if you were to add that together, it's probably 160, 170 games. It's not the biggest sample, but it's still big enough. I think that's plenty big enough to say, yes, this is real. He is a middle-of-the-order hitter on a very, very good team, and I don't see that stopping anytime soon. I mean, I, I think if you're the Jays, like, it doesn't mean you rush out and you need to extend him right away, but yeah. you've got three more years of this guy. Enjoy it. That's great. I think you can pencil him in at four or five, whatever it is, and expect a lot of production. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta let it play out, man. Like remember what people were saying in 2019 when Teoscar was struggling about him and he was making errors in the outfield and you know people didn't want him on the team. Like you gotta let it play out. Marcus Simeon, right? This guy is like 30. He's having a great year. His breakout came what two years ago, so it would have been like 28 was when he had that yeah. really big season with Oakland. Um, and then last year took a step back, and now I mean he has already put up more wins above replacement this season than he did all of last year that's in like half the time because he was hurt last season and he had an oblique issue and he wasn't able to swing the bat the way he needed to he wasn't able to prepare for games the way he needed to and now here he is he's healthy he's playing every day and he is on like the heater of all heaters right now like over the last you know since late april he's been like a top 10 hitter in mlb he's been consistent he's been barreling everything up he's been having great plate appearances even his outs are like good outs they're coming after you know six seven pitches into the plate appearance you know he'll take a pitch that shouldn't have been called a strike or something or he'll line out you know with a, a really high exit velocity he'll make a guy throw a whole bunch of pitches um he has been like just a solid solid part of this batting order over the last couple of weeks and i don't know that anybody should be surprised like the guy's been paid 18 million dollars you know you don't commit 18 million dollars to a guy if you don't believe he's going to be pretty good like if you don't have reason to believe he's going to be really really solid and you don't as the blue jays did discuss a four-year deal with him as the blue jays did with marcus simeon so like clearly they believe he's gonna be very good for a while and clearly they felt he could fit into this roster like for some time so i'm sure the blue jays aren't surprised to see what marcus simeon is doing but right now he's on pace for like a five-win season and if he puts up even three wins the blue jays are getting really really good value on a one-year 18 million dollar deal 
Yeah, it's off to a really good start for Semyon. I think it's worth saying, too, you know, he's been such a steady defender at second base for this team, playing a new position, right? Like, it's not yeah. the easiest thing to just pick up a new position and play it full time. He's done a really great job there. And it's been in contrast, obviously, to the left side of the infield, which at times has struggled. But again, worth noting, those guys are also playing better. So that's a good sign for this Jays team. I don't think that, you know, defensively, necessarily this team projects as being an elite team but if they can hold their own that's good enough Um, there's still questions defensively with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left field I think there's still a question with Kevin Biggio at second or at third base but it's still been better and Semyon's been kind of a really consistent part of that along with Vladdy who's actually been great defensively at first base and Grichuk of course who's been great in center field so the pieces are really coming together just on a lot of different fronts for this team it's actually kind of wild any other hitters you want to point out before I shift to pitchers here? I think it's time for some pitching talk. There's some pretty interesting ones between Pearson and Manoa. Yeah, it's not even a big leaguer that I want to talk about. It's Alec right. Manoa, <laughs> and we have to talk about him because uh, he has made his second AAA outing now. Uh, we seem to record uh, on the you know right after, like in the wake of his outings every week, and uh, it was another spectacular one. Like there's no other way of saying it now. Through two starts in AAA now, it's 12 innings. Three hits, no runs, two walks, 17 Ks, and uh, four hit by the, by pitches. <laughs> you hit four dudes in that in that time on Alec Manoa throws really hard. Trust me, you do not want to be hit by a, an Alec Manoa fastball or even one of his hard sliders, really. But Ben, I mean, is he accelerating the timeline? Like, is the thinking shifting? I mean, how does the Blue Jays front office approach this uh, young pitcher, first round pick, who they have challenged with AAA after like last appearing in affiliate ball at low A in Vancouver and not even for a long time. You had like, you know, five or six appearances in Vancouver. Is the thinking shifting and, and what does the future hold for Alec Manoa? I mean, Manoa is doing absolutely everything that he can to change the timing, change the thinking. And the Blue Jays would be irresponsible not to look at what they've seen from him in his first two starts and take that into account. I mean, as we say this, all the time but i mean it's it is worth repeating like that no one's won the american league east yet it's still up for grabs the jays can still win that they still have you know even best case scenario 70 wins they need to get their hands on between now and the end of the season so there's so much work that they still have to do and alec manoa could be a piece of that so they need to have their eyes open to him they obviously do ross atkins said to have been there in i believe it was trenton might have been rochester for that start by manoa so His eyes were on Manoa. And to me, when we talked about this last week, I said, if he does it four more times, then, all right, this should be major league discussion for him. Now, you know, I've seen one more of those. I'm kind of like, maybe two or three more might be enough. You know, if he's still doing this at the end of May, beginning of June, I mean, you get to a point where it's like, he's a college pitcher, 23 years old. He'd be two years out from his draft date at that point. I know he's only got 29 pro innings, but I still think if, and I know it's a big if, but if, he continues doing this until the end of May. I mean, is there a reason not to promote him at that point? No, no, there is not. And so maybe um, in my question to you, like I was projecting a little bit because I think that my thinking 
has shifted on this uh, in a really big way. Like coming into the season, like we were talking about Alec Manoa, even like coming into the minor league season, dude. So like a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, yeah, they're going to give him a bunch of run at AAA, try, you know, keep him developing as a starter, developing, you know, attack plans and how he uses his stuff and sequencing, facing advanced competition, making adjustments, all the things you've heard us say a million times. They're going to let him do that for, you know, three months or whatever. And if he's throwing really well, come, you know, August, Okay, let's bring him up to throw some gas out of the bullpen. Nah, Alec Manoa is going to make starts for the Toronto Blue yeah. Jays this year, <laughs> and yeah. probably sooner than later, yeah. just based on what we've seen. And so, like, I got to cop to that. Like, he has completely shifted my thinking yeah. on it. And it's not just the results, Ben. Like, it's it's the process. Like, it's how he's getting his results. Like, no runs over two starts. Like, that's that's great. Seventeen Ks, all that is great, but. To me, it's commanding his fastball to both sides of the plate. It's yeah. throwing his slider for strikes. It's understanding when to use his changeup and how to deploy his pitches. It's starting hitters with secondary stuff and working backwards and getting some of these like gifts that you're seeing of guys' knees buckling and guys who think the pitch, like think a slider is going to hit them and is bending out of the way and it falls over the plate. And as it falls in for a strike, Alec Manoa has already taken like two steps off the mound because he knows it's falling in for a strike and he knows he's getting strike three. Like one of the coolest things like I've seen from, from the kid to this point, this is a kid who does a lot of cool things. It's the mound presence, right? It's, it's the composure. It, like it's low heart rate, um, competitiveness, like all those things, you know, like, like all that process stuff is there. So you know, Alec Manoa is like, forcing this issue like he is making this decision for the blue jays like forget about the blue jays thinking about like when are we going to call alec manoa like alec manoa is saying this is when you're going to (laughs) call alec manoa up you know and that look the blue jays like left that possibility open by starting him at triple a by challenging him with this level because they didn't leave anywhere else to promote him like like i've said this before if they started him at double a nobody would have blinked an eye nobody would have questioned that it was said yeah of course guys never pitched above low a before he just hasn't thrown that many innings they're gonna see how he does at double a he does really well there then maybe you move him up to triple a the blue jays are like nah we like what you did at the alt site we like what we saw from you in spring training against like good yankees hitters in in grapefruit league games um we're gonna start you triple a and if he goes out and blows the doors off there's gonna be nowhere else for us to promote you but to the majors so alec manoa right now is just like making himself undeniable and he is like taking this decision out of the Blue Jays' hands and just making it just obvious that, you know, like you said, two more of these, the guy's got to be in the big leagues. Yeah. After two more, uh, yeah, like this, like honestly, this. it would be really hard to make the case that he's going to benefit more from AAA. And, you know, the nice thing here is it really is a discussion around development and around the big league team, of course, um, because they're trying to win games. This isn't purely a question of developing a prospect. They need to use his abilities right now to win games. But one thing that we don't have to include in this discussion, which is, I think, for the best, is service time. And, (laughs) you know, service time has obviously been a big topic for the Jays with Nate Pearson and with Vladdy. And the reason it was a big topic was, I will say, they appeared to manipulate the service time of those two players. Now, Obviously, with Vladdy, in hindsight, we can say that there was development. With Pearson, I mean, that to me still looks like, you know, they're getting an extra year by holding him down for a week. So, I mean, we don't need to relitigate that. That's not what we're here to do. But I think it is worth at least noting that in the case of Manoa, they have him through 2027 either way, whether he debuts now or debuts on September the 28th or August the 15th or somewhere in between. So it's really a question of when is he ready? 
How can he help? What does he need to do? They need to be cautious about rushing him. That still holds. And yet they also need to do what's best for the major league team and keep that in mind. So they're balancing those two things and it makes for a really interesting baseball discussion. I think it's 2021 and the philosophies have changed and the timelines have changed. Like, look, Seattle is promoting Logan Gilbert this week. He's made one AAA start and he has 140 minor league innings. And the Mariners believe that he's ready. Garrett Crochet went straight from the draft into the Chicago White Sox bullpen, didn't pitch an inning in the minor leagues. And I understand it's different for a reliever versus a starter, but you can really accelerate your timeline, especially these college kids, man, like, you know, Alec Manoa, who's pretty polished from everything that we've seen. Like, I just think that, you know, the college programs now are so advanced, you know, we hear the, you know, the Blue Jays talk about all the time with Vanderbilt, you know, where Austin Martin came out of, that's a pro style program. Like these kids get a really high level of instruction and of development and they arrive as professionals not needing those like three, four years of grinding it out in the minor leagues to learn how to be a pro and to learn how to how to play every day, man. Like you mentioned Pearson, like Pearson has fewer than 130 minor league innings on his track record. He's already been in the bigs. Uh, and like with him, obviously some of it's injury related, but like the way he was pitching on the come up, I mean, he probably forces himself to the majors much earlier, if not for those injuries. And like, you want to talk about circumstance, like, look, it's not Alec Manoa's fault. They didn't have a minor league season to pitch in last year. Like, it's not his fault that when he was drafted in 19, the Blue Jays, you know, he was coming off of like logging a lot of innings in a college season. And the Blue Jays were like, eh, let's like be careful here. And, you know, let's not push you too far. Like, just get your feet wet in Vancouver, but we're not going to give you a huge like workload this season. The reason he doesn't have that track record or those innings is purely circumstance. But the process that he's showing and obviously the results that he's getting, I think, you know, if if that continues, uh, you know, through the end of this month, like like you said, I don't know how you build a case to keep him out yep. of the majors at that point. Nor would you want to, nor would you need to. So I think I think he would be up if it continues. Now, there's also the chance that he'll go out and walk six, you know, because we've seen it. Yep. We saw it with Pearson on Sunday where, <laughs> you know, it wasn't good. And this can happen Two different pitchers, two different circumstances. But if Manoa were to go out and struggle and allow four bombs and walk the ballpark, then the Jays obviously have to listen to that, take that into account. And they would. But at this point, it's hard to imagine that from Manoa. And, you know, in, in some ways... I don't think it's hyperbole to say that Manoa has kind of passed Pearson as far as where he is on this depth chart because he seems now like a more polished pitcher and like someone that they're on the same team, they're on the same pitching staff. Manoa seems like someone who is closer to being ready to contribute. Their stocks are a wild ride, those yeah. two, aren't they? Like the fluctuations yeah. with the like following Dogecoin on a Saturday night, man. Like it is <laughs> up and down with these guys. Um, and like, and that could continue, by the way. Like, I don't want to like be this guy and ruin everybody's fun, but like, say Alec Manoa has two more really solid outings in AAA, yeah. gets that big league call up, he could totally have an outing like Nate Pearson did. Of course, he day. could. Like, yeah. like, if anything. That's almost what should be expected, you know, like how many pitchers, especially young starting pitchers, especially arrive at the big league level and just cruise and just coast and don't suffer any adversity. Like this is the same arc that Nate Pearson went on. Like, remember, like in 2019, Nate Pearson dominated double A, earned a triple A call up late in the season. His first triple A start was seven scoreless. 
And like his next time out, he like struck out a whole bunch of dudes over six or seven innings. Like Nate Pearson was doing these same things on the come up to the majors. And then he got there and he faced adversity for like essentially the first time in his life because it's just a different animal. Like these are the best hitters in the world, man. Like it's just a, it's the most intense atmosphere. It's the stiffest competition. It's the biggest challenge. It's the toughest scouting. These, uh, you know, hitters and these opposition scouts and, and, and hitting coaches and analysts, they all know you way better than any of these minor league guys ever have. So Alec Manoa's minor league success is like far from a guarantee that he's going to continue to be lights out in the big leagues. And like, if anything, reasonable expectation is that he'll actually struggle a little bit when he eventually does earn that promotion. Right. Because almost every pitcher does. So, I mean, as much as Manoa is doing absolutely everything, this is almost like a best case scenario for how his 2021 could be going. It's incredible. Jays fans can enjoy this moment. It's great. It doesn't mean that everything is going to collapse. It also doesn't mean that he's going to have a zero ERA in the major leagues. You know, there's there's going to be some times there where he does struggle. And yet, I still think his stock has risen in a real way this year. And I think it's fair to have higher expectations for what he can do in the majors. What are your expectations on the next time we see Nate Pearson at the big league level? Because that's like the really interesting decision coming up for me, right? Because like, I, you know, it, it was a, a tough decision, I would imagine, to send him back down like after the bad outing earlier this week, you know, against Houston. I mean, like, you know, all the walks that we saw and just it's not that he had no command, but he had next to no command um you know and just like the mound presence wasn't great the body language wasn't great you know i kind of wondered if they'd give him one more start in the big leagues like just to see like if that was just a blip clearly they didn't feel that way and i can actually kind of understand it because if you're going to do that then you like have to have somebody ready behind him in the bullpen like you have to have an anthony k ready to go in the bullpen and then at that point it's like well then why aren't you just starting anthony k if you're really running a meritocracy and it's really the guys who like are deserving to be starting here but now you know with Nate Pearson being demoted AAA it does set up this kind of interesting question coming forward of like how long is he in AAA what do you need to see before you bring him back and how do you kind of find a good entry point for him to come back to the majors and you hope stick around I would guess it's at least a couple outings in AAA um I don't think it has to be necessarily much more than that but it's going to depend on how well he can throw strikes. We know the stuff is good. We've seen it. Uh, we've seen hitters react to it and struggle with it at times. Uh, you made a good point last episode about the playoffs and how he did really well against the Rays in a game that counted a ton. So yeah. you know it's there. And so he has that ability, but none of that matters if you're not throwing strikes. And he just wasn't throwing strikes. So that's it's a very basic you know way to put it. Uh, you know, the luck goes into that mechanically from your approach standpoint, mentally, how you prepare, how you handle struggles on the mound. Luck goes into that. But to me, the outcome or the result that I would look to is just how many strikes is he throwing? How many walks is he is he giving up? Those are the the numbers that I think will tell us when he's ready. Yeah, we talk about these stock fluctuations and it's like the big league outing prior to the one we just saw in Houston for Nate Pearson was that playoff start so that was right. one outing prior and that was he faced six and struck out five and he had 12 swinging strikes he threw 28 pitches in the yeah. outing 18 of them strikes 12 swinging like are you kidding me he was as dominant as dominant gets in the postseason against like a really good hitting club against a club that scouts really well and that definitely knew he was coming into that game and we're definitely prepared for it 
and they could do nothing. Like they couldn't even touch him. They couldn't even put the ball in play. So it's like, oh, and then all of a sudden straight down with that Houston outing. That's Those are back-to-back starts. It's wild. But the thing is, like, yeah, I, obviously he has to throw strikes in, in the minors, and obviously he has to, you know, limit walks. But what have we seen Nate Pearson do throughout his minor league career? Limit walks. Like, we've already seen it. So, like, I won't be surprised if he goes back down to AAA and doesn't walk a ton of dudes because, like, I think, it, you know, 127 minor league innings and, like, 33 walks – I believe are the numbers not having them in front of you. Like it's something like that. Like it's something ridiculous like that. Like he's never walked guys on the come up. He's never walked guys in the minors. So maybe it's different now that he's kind of working through some of the mechanical stuff. And like, maybe there will be a little bit of like residual after effect of the Houston outing. And like, he's probably a little demoralized and, you know, upset with himself. And like, maybe there's a little carryover there, but I also won't be surprised if Nate Pearson goes out and looks like Nate Pearson with Buffalo slash Trenton, whatever we're calling them. And then the question becomes like, well, how much of that do you need to see? And then how much of a microscope do you have to actually then put on to the process, right? And like the track man data and okay, where those pitches are landing and you know, how much help he's getting from minor league hitters that are probably a bit more swing happy than than big leaguers are, and like how he's approaching his plate appearances and what the body language looks like on the mound and how the mechanics are looking, right? And and some of the biomechanical stuff and the player tracking stuff that you can break down. Like I think they probably have to get that granular with when they make the decision to bring him back rather than just walks in the outings because i i wouldn't be surprised at all if the walks go away in the minors because that's all we've seen from him in the minors it's true but i mean first things first too i mean he's he's got to get to that point and maybe it will come right away and in his first outing he'll have that command but i mean the guy i saw sunday wouldn't have got a lot of triple a hitters out like he wasn't getting a lot of double a hitters out the way he was pitching so I think first things first, and then totally, if he's if he's still doing his normal Nate Pearson things and he goes out and strikes out eight over six innings, maybe allows a walk, a few hits, and you're still you know not sure how that's going to translate, absolutely, it's time to get more granular. But I think the first thing is just he's got to find that zone again. And maybe that'll be a short process, but I'm also not assuming it's going to be instantaneous. Let me wrap up with the most unfair question uh, in the world to put you on the spot here. All Who right. do we see in the big leagues first? Nate Pearson, Pearson. Or, or Alec Manoa? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's a fair question. I think um, I think Pearson. Because Pearson, like if he goes out for two outings and he's good, there will be room for him. They'll need him. Yeah. If Manoa has two outings, like maybe they want a third. You know, Maybe they just want to be super certain with it. They might try to find a good environment for Manoa to debut in as opposed to, I don't know, Yankee Stadium, or although he seems to do very well in big environments. But, you know, like that's the sort of thinking that could enter the equation. Whereas Pearson, having made those debuts, is really just, when is he ready? Okay, he's ready. Bring him up. He's on the 40. He's already been to the majors. But you had also indicated that you think Manoa is ahead of Pearson right now. I do. On the depth chart. But you think we'll see Pearson first. I do think so. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think like, and I think we're going to see both of them at some point, but you know, timing wise. Yeah. Probably Pearson first. Although like, I don't know, man, two more outings like that from Manoa and right. Right. That's a good pair of arms to have a triple a, right? Like that's a good couple of prospects to have coming towards your major league team at some point. 
Yeah. You put those two guys on the big league club when you're adding George Springer as well. And yeah. then maybe, you know, Thomas Hatch shows up and he's feeling good and he's ready to like eat some innings out of the back end of your rotation. All of a sudden, like Ross Stripling's shifting into more of like a long, long man role, swing man role. You know, if you still got, obviously Ryu's going to be there, it's health willing. And if Ray and Mats are still throwing the ball well, yeah, yeah, it looks pretty good. But like, also, that's such a dangerous game to play of like, well, yeah, this is how the rotation's going to line up. Someone else will get hurt. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, actually the rotation is no, yeah. Manoa's here, but he's like the ace of the staff now. Yeah. And then it goes him and Joey Murray and Nick Allgaier and, uh, you know, somebody we picked up off waivers and, yep. uh, you know, we Logan traded Warren for starting in center field. Yeah. yeah. And we traded for Cal Gibson because like we had to, because we had nobody yep. else because everybody got hurt or started underperforming. So you can't put the cart in front of the horse there, but it's interesting watching these stocks go up and down. I'll say that. It is a wild ride all year. It is. Uh, let's step away. But when we come back, we'll talk some more pitching. We'll talk uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Everything else going on with the Toronto Blue Jays when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on at the letters Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson Smith, our producers Mike Disoni and Christian Ryan, and it is time now for keeping it light, presented by Miller Light. A little bit of a pitching check-in this week, Ben. Uh, you know, in the off-season, the Blue Jays made some bets uh, on some bounce-back candidates, some reclamation projects, and uh, hey, man, those bets have gone pretty well. So far, you look at what Robbie Ray has done for this club, how he suddenly just doesn't walk anybody anymore and has continued to strike out the world. Uh, you look at the results the Blue Jays have gotten from Steven Matz, who obviously has come back down to earth a little bit recently, but has still been like very strong coming off of a truly disastrous 2020 season. A guy who the Blue Jays acquired for, uh, you know, three edge of the 40 man players. And then you even look at like a Tyler Chatwood who was signed, uh, you know, to pitch relief coming off of a, a pretty long career as a starter, a guy who was coming off of uh, some rough seasons and some injury concerns. And lo and behold, he is like in leverage and being asked to get four or five outs and striking everybody out and not giving up runs. Uh, it's pretty good. So Ben, which bounce back candidate bounce back pitcher has been the most important to this team's success to this point? I mean, the fact that you can choose from three decent candidates tells you a lot and tells you that these reclamation projects are going pretty well overall for a Jays team that, that definitely needed them to go well. So that's a kind of a big picture sign that things are good. But I, I think within that, as much as I am kind of tempted to go with Tyler Chatwood because he definitely looks pretty nasty right now and he looks like someone who could be getting high leverage outs for a while for this team, which is a very good sign. I still got to go with Robbie Ray. I just think when you're talking about a starting pitcher, there's more chances to make impact. And in the case of Ray, we're seeing a significant difference in how he's attacking hitters. And we're seeing fewer walks. And that's always been the big trouble for Robbie Ray. And so to see him recover from that and show some really positive trends on that front is encouraging for the Jays. 
it's pretty wild what he has done this year and the just the run he is on of like hardly walking anybody at all when you just consider it in the context of of this guy's career like the strikeouts have always been there and the question has always been man if he could be in the zone like and if he could just like limit the walks a little bit if he could be like a you know a little less and he's always been like effectively wild but a little less wild what could the ceiling be for him and we're kind of seeing that come around right now he's still giving up a good amount of home runs and it's 2021 mlb so everybody's giving up home runs but like that's really what's kind of like killing his traditional stats like you know his era and things like that like his season could be a lot more impressive with some better like fly ball luck if a couple balls got knocked down by the breeze or were just like mishit a little bit or you know went just shy of the foul pole or what have you right like all those home run luck factors that come in i think his numbers could look way better but yeah you look at the peripheral stuff some of the more advanced numbers and it's like it's undeniable. And what's really interesting, you mentioned the velocity. I'll mention the fact he's thrown his fastball more than ever. Like he seems to just be leaning on that fastball. Um, and sure, like if you're throwing it two miles per hour harder, like you're probably gonna be pretty confident in it. And it seems like he's pretty confident in locating it as well. So like if hitters have to be geared up for that fastball because he's using it like 60% of the time, all of a sudden, you know, the slider and curveball just become that much more effective because hitters aren't, you know, necessarily as ready for them. Um, and, you know, and they surprise hitters a little bit more. So, and even, you know, the change-ups that Robbie Ray mixes in every now and then, it's not that many, but it is a nice, useful kind of fourth pitch to have to go to and to have in the back of a hitter's mind. You know, I think the process looks great. So look, as long as Robbie Ray is throwing strikes, I think he's just going to be this good. Yeah, it's been a really good combination. And it's hard to know how long this is going to last, uh, whether he can continue at this kind of rate of really not walking guys. But I mean, to put in context, when the Jays acquired him last summer for Travis Bergen, who, by the way, is also having a nice year in the Blue Jays bullpen. (laughs) But um, when they acquired Robbie Ray, he had pitched 31 innings for the Diamondbacks and he had walked 31 hitters. That is not the kind of ratio you want in the major leagues or probably in any league. And Robbie Ray, since then, has really recovered and just found the strike zone. Um, Some of that's velocity. Some of that's uh, definitely a shift in mechanics from some of the experimentation that we saw in 2020 with him. But it's working. I don't know how long it's going to last, but as long as he's pitching like this, he looks like a number three starter to me. And you mentioned Tyler Shawin, and we should like, you know, give him his flowers as well because he has been just like spectacular. And he's been, you know, every bit like a high leverage reliever for this club and was like a somewhat, I guess, underwhelming signing when it happened in the offseason. There were obviously question marks coming off of the season that he had in 2020 and, you know, changing roles and, you know, the the whole deal. And you just look at this guy like 99th percentile whiff rate. You look at the expected stats and, you know, slugging batting average, weighted on base average, all, you know, up above like 92nd percentile, slugging's 96th, OBA is 97th, K percentage, 95th percentile, chase rates up there. I mean, just everything, you know, he's limiting hard contact. He's striking a bunch of guys out. I remember when the Blue Jays, you know, signed this guy, I was kind of saying like, hey, like you look at, you know, his stuff and some of the maybe inconsistent usage that he's had of it over the years. You look at the spin rates that he has and just kind of like the raw stuff that he has. Like, you know, I was thinking, 
thinking, man, like if you get him with just kind of a new approach, you know, a new new set of eyes on him, you know, it's not just Pete Walker, Matt Bushman, but it's the Blue Jays analytics department. And it's all their pitching folks that are, you know, diving into his numbers and his usage and what could work for him and what could play well. Maybe they can kind of refine things and give him like a better approach he could be more successful with going forward. And it seems like that approach, at least to this point, has been like, hey, just throw sinkers and cutters. <laughs> forget like some of that spinny stuff. Like forget the curveball. Like forget your, you know, your four seamer. Forget like your change up. Like sinkers, cutters. That's all you're gonna throw. That's all he has thrown, and he's been really successful with it to this point. Yeah, and the signs were there, as you said, um, that it could be possible. And yet, to take that potential and actually convert it into results is really hard, which is why, you know, when they signed him, I'll admit, my thought was, okay, we'll see, you know, we'll see what what happens here, but certainly no guarantees. And yet, he's been tremendous. He's really embracing the role of being reliever after bouncing back and forth previous times in his career. And you just look at the stuff, the fastball up to 97, the cutter, like you said, has been great, a swing and miss pitch for him. To me, if the Blue Jays are playing the Phillies this weekend, they've got four or five outs that they need to get in a key high leverage spot. Tyler Chatwood is the reliever that I think they should go to. 48% whiff rate on the cutter this year. and 36.7 on the sinker. Uh, it's pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, Tyler Chatwood, who is, you know, typically throwing like a good amount of curveballs like in his career, like it's been a go-to pitch for him. He's thrown seven this season. Right. He's essentially just like put it away. He's essentially put his four seam fastball away. So it is very interesting to see the uh, you know evolution he's gone through. And it's another credit to like, the Blue Jays, you know, pitching department, as it were, which, like I said, it's not just, you know, Pete Walker gets a lot of the credit and he deserves a lot of credit, like great pitching coach, but it's not just him. You know, it's the people who identify this talent, right? Like who, who identify like players on in other organizations who maybe could, uh, you know, have an approach tweak or, you know, just like maybe could, you know, just do something differently. That the Blue Jays can help them with it's identifying those players. It's then acquiring them. And then it's like deploying that information to the player, getting it to them and helping them make that adjustment. Like it really is kind of like, a, you know, the, you know, the Blue Jays say the word collaborative a lot, but it is kind of like a collaborative process. Like there's a lot that goes into it in terms of, you know, it's not just like you just take random bets on guys it's not just like the blue jays just know oh he's gonna be better it's identifying that's a guy who could do something better and who could make a tweak and adjustment and then helping him make that adjustment and seeing the results play out at the big league level it's a lot harder than it may seem and there's a lot more that goes into it blue jays been pretty good at it over the last couple of years for sure for sure they they have and i think these three examples chatwood ray Matt's that really underscores that no one's perfect tanner roark a living walking example <laughs> of the fact that not yeah. every signing is going to work out even for a front office that equips itself with lots of information and does its best to put people in good situations you're still going to have misses the blue jays will have more of those but right now these three look like really key contributors for this team aj cole anthony castro Rafael Dolis, you know, um, he's like Joel Piamps, man, yeah. right? Like remember when Blue Jays were going back and forth with the Red Sox over Joel Piamps, and it was kind of like, why? Like, what's going on here? And now you kind of see it, right? Like, yeah. You, you kind of see what, you know, what they really liked so much about him. So, uh, yeah, you know, credit to the Blue Jays for, uh, you know, the way they've kind of built this bullpen, which has been like such a huge part of their success to this point, how sustainable will it end up being? Who knows? But, uh, you know, it's it's a real credit to their pitching folks and, and the work that they've done. Uh, let's end with Lourdes Goriel Jr. 193, 216, 
277. It is a 34 weighted runs created plus. It's almost uh, one full negative win below replacement. It's not good for Lewis Grail Jr. For, through his first uh, 32 games of the season. We've seen him hit before, which is really all you can say for like why you believe he's going to come out of this because there's nothing in the underlying stats, whether it's like quality of contact or exit velo or approach or swing decisions that really tell you that he deserves anything better than he's gotten to this point. It's really is just kind of, you know, the, the track record that he put up. It's not exactly an extensive one, but through 2020 and 2019 of having success against big league pitching, that really is what you're relying upon, Ben, when you're you know looking for reasons why he could come out of this funk. Right, yeah. I mean, there's nothing good about his production so far. There's nothing good about the underlying stats. There's no silver lining in this, other than I guess he's healthy. I mean, you could point to that. But yeah. no, I mean, it's, yeah, there's, there are no good underlying things signs that we're, we're going to point to and say oh man but he's barreling everything no he's not he's not barreling much at all I think at the same time you know as much as we're you know acknowledging look like this has not been a good start to the season for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. at the same time I still think that there are going to be a couple of hot streaks that he really um, finds his way into in the course of this summer and really helps this team and so I, I say that because we've seen it before I say that because of how old he is and because it's hard to hit major league pitching and not many guys can do it. And he is one of them as recently as last year. So I think that's what I would look at if I was the Blue Jays, if I was Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I think there's reason to believe that there is improvement coming. But he's not a player who looks good when he's not barreling balls because he's not a guy who's going to leg out infield hits. He's not fast. He's not going to steal bases. He's not a good outfielder. I know he's got the arm. I know he has the arm. But He's not someone who takes particularly good, gets great reads or takes great routes to balls or finds himself in just the perfect place to take a carom off the wall. And so you're looking at someone who really has hit so far and that bat to ball skill has been his calling card as a major leaguer. I think it'll come back. But as long as it's not, that's why you get to that, you know, negative war situation with Gurriel. He is going to either swing his way out of this or swing his way deeper into it. That's pretty much all I can tell you. And that's all yep. I can promise you is that he's going to swing. And that's because that's what he's always done. That's just his approach. And he's swinging more this year than ever. This is not going to be a guy who's ever going to take a ton of walks. This is not going to be a guy who's ever going to, you know, not expand the zone at a pretty high rate. Like that, that has been consistent throughout his major league career. And look, there were times, and you kind of mentioned it, you know, during his big league career where like every time he touched the ball with his bat, like it went to Neptune, you know, like he was having tremendous exit velocities and putting the ball in play really hard. And that's, you know, what sort of sustained his success and a lot of those runs that we've seen him go on. And, you know, look, there's reason to believe he can do that again just because he's done it in the past. But you mentioned it. He's not barreling the ball this year. And I don't know why that is I'm not a hitting coach. I couldn't tell you what, you know, if there's a tweak that needs to be made there, or, you know, if it's just like, preposterously like poor fortune or if he's being pitched in a different way or something like that but that is like the biggest thing that stands out is that the exit velos aren't there i will say the blue jays right now don't have a better alternative to running him out there every right. day if george springer is healthy fine like your outfield is grichik springer and hernandez sure. easy but when your alternative right now is jonathan davis who has not proven that he can hit at the big league level 
Josh Palacios is on the IL for the next six to eight weeks. There's no other option in the outfield unless you're going to get like really desperate and shove Kevin Biggio out there. But now all of a sudden you got Joe Panic playing every day at and third he's base. On the IL anyway. Yeah. Right. Um, or it's Santiago Espinal playing every day who hasn't been a great major league hitter. Like you have to keep running Lourdes Gurriel Jr. out there every day. It really is your only option right now. Well, yeah, someone's going to get, let's say it's, I don't know, 430 at-bats remaining in the season from that left field position. Someone's getting them. So would you rather give those 430 to Jonathan Davis or Lourdes Gurriel? And it's, you know, Davis is a 580 OPS. Like it's not hitting, uh, you know, so it's, it goes back to our Manoa discussion a little bit. If Davis had an 850 instead of a 580, maybe that actually yeah. would change and there could be an opportunity for him. I know, again, it's small sample, but, you know, we're talking basically is he is he barreling balls is he making great contact if jonathan davis was hitting line drives all over the ballpark he'd be playing more but as it stands now the opportunity still remains guriel's to take and do with what he will we'll see where that leads i still think at the the end of the year it might you know at this point we're definitely 20 percent into the season so it might be a bit of a down year for guriel but from this point forward which is important and that's obviously the only part of the season that the blue jays have any control over from this point forward, Guriel is clearly the better bet compared to Davis. Yeah, and I still am willing to bet that there is like a pretty epic hot streak coming up yeah. for Lourdes Guriel Jr. Like, but again, just based on the fact that we have seen it before, also based on like the age, you know, like it's not, you know, he's not an age where he's gonna be like washed or you know, just can't catch up the big league yeah. stuff anymore or anything like that. His brother's doing it 10 years older than him. So right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he is, you know, very much like in his prime as as an athlete. So there's no reason to expect some sort of like depreciation there. So yeah, I, I think he'll be fine. But you know, I think that whether it's going well for him or it's not going well for him, like you're going to see him swinging. Like you're going to see him trying to get out of it. Neither he's going to get deeper into it or he's going to swing his way out of it. But like, I promise you, that is going to be the process. Anything else, Ben, you want to touch on? No, I think that's a very safe bet. Kind of similar to, you know, if, if Bo finds himself slumping, he's going to swing. If Lourdes finds himself <laughs> slumping, he's going to swing. Some guys might, like Biggio, when he was slumping, and he's he's a counterpoint to Guriel and as for his style, of course. But you know, when Biggio was slumping, he would still draw walks. And that's why, yeah. you know, that's that's why those players are kind of have a higher floor in a sense because they contribute in so many ways. But Guriel, when he's slumping, it's just swing and miss, swing and miss, grounded or short, fly out to left. It's not pretty, but we do think it'll change. Don't look now. Kevin Biggio's weighted runs created plus up to 94 after Thursday's game. Uh, very nearly league average, which is, uh, I think, fine for Kevin. Bishio. Uh, and that's going to be it for us. But we thank you as always for listening. We thank our producers, Mike Tassoni and Christian Ryan. Ben's on Twitter at B Nicholson Smith. I'm on Twitter at Arden Zwelling. Uh, Blue Jays playing pretty well. Will they be playing well again next week? We'll see. And we'll talk to you then. Taking Us Out is a band that formed in 2018 and has supported musicians such as Joel Plaskett Emergency, Hannah Georges, and the Great Lake Swimmers from St. John, New Brunswick. Here's the backstays with Forever Gold Bricks.
Azúcar 